Hi, I'm Millie Thomas, an eating disorder recovery coach. We've created this podcast to raise awareness about all types of eating disorders and help dispel some of the many myths and stigma that unfortunately still surround them. It feels like it's like a drug. You know it's bad because you know like this is hurting me, but it somehow makes you feel like you're doing something right. My eating disorder started at seven. You get to that point where you just, you just don't know what to do. This is the End Eating Disorders podcast, brought to you by BCU, customer-owned banking for you. It's been a long and at times slow process. <sighs> the eating disorder's in charge and your daughter's not there. Find someone that you trust more than you trust your eating disorder self. I was in tears and I was screaming at the nurses, give me something to eat, my baby is kicking me. You cannot do this to this life that has no voice yet. There is hope. Welcome everyone. Today we have the amazing Jenna with us and she is going to talk to us all about her experiences with orthorexia. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today, Jenna. I really, really appreciate it. That's okay. I'm glad to be here. How are you today? You good? Yeah, I'm good. It's my day off, so I'm glad about that. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for spending your day off here doing this. I think it's going to be a fantastic insight for people into orthorexia because it's often one of the eating disorders that people don't know a lot about. So I really, really appreciate it. That's okay. I'd like to begin with you giving us a little bit of an insight or an overview into your, your journey. Yeah, so my eating disorder was developing when I was around 13 um, and it started off as just not specified. So I was just engaging in disordered behaviours and then it developed into anorexia. So I lived with that for about seven years until I started to do recovery in a healthy way that I thought was healthy and a lot of people around me was praising me for that and I started to fall into orthorexia, which I didn't know of and didn't know what it was, didn't know what I was doing until I realised this isn't real recovery, this is a whole other eating disorder that I've gone down in recovery and that it's orthorexia and I was obsessed with exercise and just eating extremely healthy foods Um, and I was just afraid of a lot of things and that's when I realized I need to do recovery again but without diet culture because I didn't realize diet culture had such a massive impact on me in my recovery because before that with my anorexia diet culture didn't impact me so only until I started recovery and I was like oh well this is what's around me so this must be normal when really it wasn't so that's how it kind of developed. And so how long were you in the grips of anorexia before you feel it morphed into orthorexia? Um, Around seven years. And then with the orthorexia, how long did that last for? Two years after that. So until around two years until I realized, yeah, I need to start recovery again. So yeah. What was that point? What made you realize, hey, this isn't, this isn't right. This is not recovery. This is just another eating disorder. 
Yeah, because I realized, why am I so afraid of eating at different times? Why can't I eat what someone else has cooked me? And it just became that same stressful mindset that I had with my other eating disorder. So I was like, well, I'm getting the same thoughts. So this can't be recovery if I'm still afraid. And also I had come across this video on YouTube about someone talking about compulsive exercise. And I was like, this is me, but it's a whole nother disorder. Cause I thought, oh yeah, I'm like recovering now. I can go do things, exercise. And I even started to do courses and jobs that I didn't actually like, but I realized it was my orthorexia wanting to live a life that was too healthy. So it was like an excuse because I started doing health and fitness when I realized real me doesn't even like that. I love art. I love creativity. So why would I want to do health and fitness? Yeah. I just started to realize this isn't where I'm actually happy at. It's incredible, isn't it? How it can become so pervasive to actually influence your job decisions or what you're studying. Exactly. Because you 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 actually believe that, hey, this is what I'm into, whereas it's actually just a perfect excuse to, you know, live and breathe your eating disorder. It was scary because I was like, this is not me at all. Like, what if I moved out? What if I started a life and a career, but I still had my eating disorder? That would stop everything because I'd be already in this life that I wasn't actually enjoying. So it, it's quite scary that it can just take over your mind like that and you without you even knowing. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, as you say, we live in this diet culture saturated society. And so what we see around us is it's almost like these behaviors that could be termed disordered are actually really normalized in in our culture and in society. And so therefore you just thought it was healthy and it was, it was an okay thing to be doing. Yeah, exactly. And especially when people around you praise you for that as well, because they so it'd be like, oh, you're exercising all the time. Keep it up. And to me, my eating sort of would be like, oh yeah, keep doing it. Even though inside I'd be like, I don't really want to be doing this. But when you get that untrue validation from other people, it fuels that eating disorder as well. And that's why I think it's so important. You know, I always say to people, don't comment on people's bodies. Yeah, exactly. Because at the end of the day, you don't know what's going on for them and how their body is could be, you know, um, the manifestation of a number of different things. And you don't know, you could be inadvertently praising an eating disorder. Someone could be going through cancer treatment. You just don't know. Very true. also the fact that we are all so much more than our bodies. And so, and I also think that's why it's so important to compliment people on things other than their appearance as well. Yeah, for sure. Now, if you were to explain, I'm hoping that there'll be a lot of people listening to this podcast that don't have a really, um, you know, in-depth understanding of eating disorders. And so if you were to describe to someone what it's like mentally, physically, spiritually to go through an eating disorder, how would you describe it? Like, what does it feel like? It feels like this, it's like a drug. It makes you, you know, it's bad, but it somehow makes you feel like you're doing something right. It's like an addiction. That's how I would explain it. Because you know, like, this is hurting me, this is bad, but somehow it gives you these false praises in your mind, like, oh, you're doing something right, but it's like a battle, like you're fighting with yourself. People around you as well, because they're telling you these things, but I would just say it's like this horrible drug that you're addicted to. You're so right. You're so right. Because you just keep going back for more, even though you know that and, and you're not enjoying it. And it's that vicious, vicious cycle, but you just feel compelled to go back. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's hard too, because for people who say, for example, are recovering from alcohol or drug addiction, 
they can avoid those things to a point. Yeah. We still have to face food multiple times a day regardless. And so I think that's what makes recovery really, really difficult. Yeah, definitely. And also when it comes to exercise as well, you see so many people doing that too. So it's hard to, not just with food, but hearing other people talk about their diets and their exercise and their inner battles as well. So you're not only facing yourself, but others as well. And I think at the moment, especially, there seems to be this culture around, um, you know, and it's still focused on appearance, unfortunately, you know, strong, not skinny, um, all of these messages that we get. And then you put COVID-19 into it as well. And there has been that intense focus on, right, you know, in lockdown, let's focus on exercise. And I just think that it's just been so hard for people who are in recovery to try and zone out all that really, really triggering noise. Yeah, for sure. I really agree with that. I've seen that a lot as well. <laughs> it's very, very, it's all over social media. Yep. <laughs> um, where's your relationship at right now with, with exercise and when you were in your eating disorder, how did you sort of get through that and develop a healthy relationship with it? Um, at the moment, my relationship is really good. I don't exercise at all apart from walk to the kitchen to get food and to the toilet and to taste. <laughs> With food, I kind of, when I started recovery from orthorexia, I knew I had to stop going to the gym because that was just really my life. And I'm glad I had done that before, like way before COVID came, because I don't know how I would have dealt with that. But I kind of just ended my membership like it was cold turkey. I knew, like, okay, just end it because you're never going to end it. There's no perfect time, Jenna, just do it. (laughs) So I ended my gym membership and I focused on not just food and numbers and weight because I knew there's way more to that. I want to find myself. So I started to work on rewiring thoughts and just doing opposite actions and telling myself like, you know, the end result's going to be fine. Like focus on the end result, not now. Like I know the feelings are uncomfortable. So I just kept telling myself that and trying to find like my spark back and get my happy mood back and not just be irritated all the time and worrying about food and weight. So I just started to challenge these fear foods one by one and get through the feelings. So that's kind of what I did at the start. That's so lovely. I love the fact that you focused on finding yourself and finding that little inner spark because it's always there buried underneath all of, you know, the eating disorders layers is our little spark, our little flame, a little light. And that's what recovery is all about, is about rediscovering that and letting it shine brightly. Exactly. Because I know just like after all these years of recoveries, I never, like it was always focused on numbers and weight. And even though that's a massive part, I still never found myself where I wouldn't relapse again because I know the reason I keep relapsing is because there's no like purpose for recovery. I didn't find that purpose. So this time I was like, okay, you need to know your why and prove to yourself that you can go live life and not end up doing health and fitness or things you don't like or doing jobs because you want to work nine to five to avoid coming home to food. So I just wanted to make sure I can go out there and live life and not let my eating sort of ruin that for me. So that was my little why. <laughs> uh, I love that. It's, it is so important to have your why. Or I know Jen and I often talk about, um, you know, having a what am I fighting for list um, of things, you know, like reminding yourself, okay, this is what I'm fighting for because it's so important because sometimes it, you can forget in the day-to-day relentless drudgery of recovery, it's often really hard to remember, hey, this is what I'm doing this for. Yeah, exactly. I was the same with you with exercise. I had to go cold turkey. And I think for some people that can be a really scary concept, but you know, I think 
sometimes you have to realize that the obsession is so deep that you really have to cut it out completely in order to be able to reintroduce it in a healthy way. Yeah, for sure. I agree. What part of your journey was the most challenging? I think facing stigma and people around me, because I feel like a lot of the time I had to do some of it myself because getting support professionally was a barrier with stigma and cultural stigma as well as financially as well. So dealing with a lot of people that didn't understand was a major barrier and struggle in my recovery journey. This time I just focused on trying to support myself as much as I could and just really wanting recovery. And when you talk about cultural stigma, what what are you referring to? So when I was first diagnosed, I remember being told that my body was allowed to be at the way it was because it could be like cultural um, and that people of colour weren't like it wasn't normal to have an eating disorder. And that's what I had experienced when I was like 13. And also just having parents that didn't understand mental illness was hard to talk about as well at home. So yeah, that's my cultural little stigma that I experienced. Oh, I cannot believe. So you had professionals tell you that people of colour don't get eating disorders. Yeah, but that was like in 2013. Even like I know now a lot has changed, which I'm really glad about. But when you're young and you hear that, it kind of sticks with you for a long time. Of course it does. I'm absolutely astounded. That's incredible that they could be so, yeah, I can't. I've got no words actually. And that must've been really, really hard for you. It was because then I started to try prove that I had an eating disorder, which got me in a whole another cycle of being unwell again. Of course, of course. And then it almost, you, you feel invalidated. And also if you're reaching out for support, it doesn't matter what you, what your body looks like, you know, whether you're, whether you're underweight, where your weight's sitting, it doesn't matter if you know that food and body image or exercise is taking, you know, consuming your life, then you deserve to get support. Exactly. Yeah. I do think also it must've been difficult, you know, for you, if your parents had had a limited understanding of mental illness as well, because I think it can be really difficult to, to explain what's going on inside, even when people do have an understanding of mental illness. Yeah, for sure. That was hard. And as and like when you're young, having friends and teachers that don't really understand either was hard. Um, but definitely at home, I found myself trying to pretend that I was fine after like hospital admissions and things like that, because I didn't want to upset people around me and people just expect you to be suddenly recovered when you come out of treatment. So that was a whole nother battle trying to pretend I was fine, but have this little eating sort of on the side underneath. It was just, yeah, hard to deal with. I remember a number of times doing that myself and it's it's so detrimental because unless you can can actually communicate, hey, this is going on for me, you're just living this this lie, this facade, um, and your eating disorder just is, is continuing to be alive and well underneath the mask, so to speak. Yeah. What Were there moments where you felt hopeless, um, you know, in your recovery and like, am I ever going to make it out of this? Yeah, definitely. Especially with the orthorexia, because I thought I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what I was doing or that it was orthorexia. And I thought, oh, like, I I don't like exercising. I don't like eating healthy, but this must be what I have to do. So I'm just going to have to live the rest of my life like this and doing health and fitness. And I'm not going to be happy. So 
like what's the point um so that was hopeless because I was I like is this recovery am I recovered and I'm not happy like what is this um like this is my life sentence basically that's what I had thought and how did you how did you hold on to hope and and sort of turn that around I just thought like why am I doing this is it for me or for other people or for society am I thinking about my values or other people's. So I thought to myself, I can be who I want to be if I don't listen to society expectations or that if people don't understand around me at home, like family or professionals, then that's okay as long as I reparent my inner child and help myself because there is definitely lots of help out there, even if you feel like there's not help. So I kind of just decided I'm going to be my best friend and I'm going to like find my little inner child back and help myself. So that was my major hope and it worked. (laughs) I love that. I absolutely love that. That was a big part of my journey too was I I called it coming home to myself because we're there underneath it all, that little little girl that was there pre-eating disorder and pre all those societal uh, expectations and and things that we seem to be bombarded with on a daily basis. And it's the inner work that we have to do. Um, you know, you can have all the therapy in the world, but you really have to take that time to tune back in uh, to yourself. And the values work that you did as well, I think that was a big a big thing for me was really kind of going, right, what, what are my values? What are my eating disorders values? And it can be so transformative, can't it? Definitely. And even like at the start, there was, I felt like there was a major gap in, in me at the start of recovery. Cause I was like unknown, like, okay, I'm doing all these new things that feel dangerous and unknown when you first step out of like comfort zones. And I was like, who am I? What am I doing? I'm just chilling here, eating all my snacks, not exercising. What like is like, what's going to happen next. But I started to learn so much about myself. I never even knew existed. So past me would have thought, no way am I going to be this person? Am I going to be all extroverted and happy and be able to try new things and go new places without being stressed and worried and like love art again and do all these different things online. I would never have thought that. So I learned so much about myself. I would literally never have known. So that was amazing in itself, learning new things and falling down and getting back up. It's just amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's in the falling down and getting back up that you learn the most about yourself, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I often say to people that I think people who have gone through eating disorders, you know, they know themselves inside out and you know your personality characteristics and you know how you can harness them in a positive way, but you also know how they can be sometimes to your detriment. And so you're careful about things. And I think sometimes people can go through their entire lives and not really know themselves as intimately as we do, having had to go through something like this. Yeah, for sure. And the self-discovery and skills you learn through recovery and experiences from even the negative things like unsupportive people or the times where you fall backwards and relapse, there's so much to learn from all that as well. Absolutely. I love, you know, when you look at recovery as being a roller coaster, it's not linear. Sometimes it can be so you feel oh my goodness, I'm going back and forward and back and forward. But when you know that that's actually a really common experience, it's, it's, it's really heartening to go, okay, I'm not the only one who's on an absolute roller coaster. Yeah, for sure. It definitely is a roller coaster. <laughs> um, did social media have, have an impact on, on the development of your eating disorder? And, and did you, 
in your recovery, what, what sort of impact did it have on your recovery as well? Yeah, at the start of my eating disorder when I was 13, it did have a negative impact on my eating disorder because that's where I felt I had to not prove myself, but it was stuff I was seeing that was feeding my eating disorder and that was giving me ideas that weren't helpful at all. And that's where I kind of went to back and forth like a drug feeling. I was going there and like, oh, yes, this is great, but it was hurting me. So that was definitely negative. Um, And also going into treatment and hospitals, um, I had made like an online diary that I used to post about my day and what I was eating. And it was quite, looking back on it, it was toxic and it was very negative because there were certain things that would pop up off other people's journeys and it was just not a good place to be in. Um, so when I had left that, I felt so much better because I felt like I don't have anyone to be in competition with. I don't have anyone to show like what I'm eating and have them comment or comment on bodies or compare anything like that. So that was such a big step in my recovery, leaving that. And then in my recovery, my last recovery with orthorexia, I had made social media such a safe place for myself because I knew I want to share my journey and speak like what I'm learning and just make it not positive, but the realities, but not dangerous. Um, and I decided to follow like therapists and people that were fully recovered. So I could have that safe and positive impact on myself and what I was reading every single day that nothing that could trigger me. And that helped me so much. Social media has helped me so much. Like even reading positive affirmations every day has helped me with finding myself and inspiring myself every day. And yeah, I've just made it, made sure I've made it a safe place for myself. That's so wonderful because I think so often people feel like they have to give it up completely and sometimes they do. But I also think that as you say, there is some really incredibly positive content out there that can really help you through the day, especially if you aren't able to access therapy or you're just going through a low moment and you haven't got anyone else there by your side to give you a little bit of a pep talk. Sometimes going on to, onto therapist websites and accounts can really, really be helpful. Definitely. And even like YouTube, YouTube, I've, I've watched like positive affirmation videos and just learning about psychology myself has helped me understand myself and learning about like the scientific facts behind eating disorders helped me so much as well to understand me because for so long you don't, like I never understood like why this is happening or things like that, but yeah, it helped a lot. And then when I did come across negative things or triggering things, it helped me learn to heal those triggers because I always believed that my triggers were my guides and that I don't have to be triggered by eating sort of subjects forever. So coming, like seeing these triggers helped me unlearn that and heal those as well. So that was helpful, even though it was hard to face, but it helped me a lot too. So fantastic. You're amazing. You really are. Thank you. (laughs) And, you know, do you think that society's acceptance of basically disordered behaviors when it comes to exercise and food is dangerous and it is causing there to be more eating disorders? I think so. I think there's a lot of disordered behaviors out there that are just masked under diet culture, which are still disordered and that people just don't know because there's stigma against eating disorders just have to be this perfect category and all this. And people don't realize that a lot of diet culture is 
accepting these disordered behaviours. Yeah, absolutely. I'm worried about the next generation (laughs) coming through because this is what they're growing up in. And I think what we're seeing is we're seeing younger people um, having that hyper-focus on their bodies and comparing themselves and throwing themselves into, you know, fitness and, you know, eating in a certain way when, you know, as a child, you shouldn't be even considering things like that. Yeah. And even like on, not on social media, but I know in real life, like after isolation and everything, I've gone back out in the world into like uni work and I've heard little comments on about food that I, and I'm like, oh, this still exists. But then I have to remember I've been in isolation. Nothing's like all, like I know I surround myself with positive contact content but the reality is there's so much out there that's still disordered and people's views on diet culture still exists and it's just like blows my mind how much misunderstanding on eating disorders there is and diet culture out there we have a long way to go in terms of that definitely have you come to a place of acceptance now with your body um i accept my body but i've recovered in still a smaller body and that's hard to deal with because there's people that hold stigma against my body and me so it's hard to constantly face comments on my body every day and not let that trigger the work I've done like I've worked through fat phobia I've worked through um, diet culture and all these triggers and it's hard to have people comment and compliment and also assume that I'm not recovered um, so that's hard to face every day but I fully accept my body yeah, my weight I accept, but I I still always have little things about appearance that I might focus on, but I know that it doesn't define me and my weight doesn't define me and that it's okay. But I still do face a lot of people around me that make assumptions. Yeah. And I think, I think that's really hard, isn't it? I mean, because there's a lot of talk at the moment about thin privilege and all of those things. And this idea that um, to be fully recovered, that you need to be in a larger body. And and I think sometimes it's really important to remember the power of genetics. Yeah, for sure. Our bodies all have different happy places, so to speak. You know, we could all exercise and eat the same and we would all still look completely different. Yeah. And there's health at every size. And I remember before my eating disorder, when I was younger, I was very small compared to everyone else in my family. I was just very active and focused on other things. And a lot of people used to come and bully me for being small. So I always say to people, no matter what weight you are, there's always something that others will be unhappy about or yourself. And that being small isn't a good thing. Being larger isn't a good or bad thing. Like every single weight is valid and there's health at every size. Um, But yeah, definitely I have even though there's a lot of fat shaming going on and fat phobia and thin privilege, there's still a lot of thin shaming going on because I've experienced people saying, oh, you have no bum and no chest and, oh, like, look at you. But then it's like, you know, like there's no perfect body for society at least. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's why we need to take that focus away from our bodies. It's not, you know, it's not as big a thing as everybody makes it out to be. Yeah, for sure. Have you got any like lasting physical implications from from your years of of anorexia and orthorexia? Yes, yeah, so I have reduced eyesight from lack of nutrition. Um, it's not like severe. I just wear contacts and glasses, but that did affect my um, like weight in eyes. Also, my bones are not that great. And I have prolonged like iron deficiency, no matter how much I try to fix that. It's just like 
one of the effects that has happened from my eating disorders. Eyesight isn't something that we often think about that can be so affected by nutrition, but absolutely. I think just being like a teenager and having an eating disorder and being smaller before that affected my growth, my muscles. So my muscles didn't really form as much at that age because obviously you're meant to go through puberty around that age and being smaller with an eating disorder kind of, I don't know the word for it, but like delayed that. (laughs) We can't underestimate how much nutrition um, or the lack of it affects our, um, our amazing bodies and minds. Yeah. Especially in those, in those formative developmental, you know, years. And unfortunately that's often, not always, but often when um, eating disorders dig their claws in and strike. Yeah. (laughs) What are some of the tools and strategies that helped you most in your recovery? Definitely working on my values and finding out what I truly believe in and aligning to that and reminding myself to focus on what are my values and what are my eating sort of values. So values definitely helped me so much and just learning to understand some of the critical thoughts I was thinking and that they're not me and that's not my voice to listen to and that it's either my eating disorders, anxieties or other people's voices that I've heard Um, and just unlearning a lot of stuff and relearning and that it's okay to be wrong and it's okay to fail. Just learning about that helped me so much. I think it's it's so important to realize there's no perfect recovery, right? Failing and trying again is perfectly okay. We have this mindset that, okay, if we've decided on recovery, then we need to do it perfectly. And I often say to clients, you know, there is no perfect recovery. There's no such thing as being a perfect client. It's just about doing the next best thing, doing the best that you can. And as you say, staying true to those values, so important. Yeah, for sure. And also I told myself, do not compare yourself to anybody else's recovery journeys because I was, I would be like, oh, how come they're this far or how come they can do this and I can't. But I just, this time I was like, don't even do that because everyone is conditioned to so many different things in their experience of life. They might have more support, less support. They've been this place, this place. So I told myself, do not even do that. And not doing that helped me so much too. (laughs) Absolutely. My catchphrase is stay in your lane. (laughs) Don't veer off, just stay in your lane. Keep the eyes on the road and your hands on your steering wheel. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Comparison is definitely the thief of joy and it's a big, big rabbit hole that it was a huge thing for me too. And once I got over that, it was when I really started to, um, you know, to properly get on that recovery train, so to speak. In your opinion, what are the best ways that people can support someone who who is going through uh, anorexia or orthorexia? I would say just sometimes it's helpful for someone just to listen to you and not try say you should do this, you should or like like don't feel this way or things like that. I, I feel like just listening and understanding what they're trying to say and trying your best to understand um, is really helpful and not assuming things or blaming the eating sort of self and saying things like, oh, it's just your eating sort of just do it. Just listening and trying to understand helps. I feel like helped me so much. I think that's so important, isn't it? Sometimes you just want someone to sit and listen or someone to just be there for you. They don't necessarily need to say anything. Yeah. Make make comments on like changes to the body or 
to food choices or that's too little, that's too much. Just things like that is, wasn't helpful at all for me. The eating disorder twists everything, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I always used to say that to mum and dad, it doesn't matter what you say, I'm, my eating disorder is going to find something wrong with it. It's going to cause an argument. Yeah. <laughs> What words of wisdom would you give to people who are listening to this podcast who are still, you know, in the midst of recovery? I would say trust the process. You may not see results initially, but they will come as long as you keep putting in the work, it will pay off later on. Like all the healing, everything you do for yourself beyond weight and food, it you will see results because I've surprised myself later on now thinking oh I didn't even react to this thing like I didn't even I'm not looking for the results they just come if you believe so that's my main thing to say (laughs) I love that trust the process and believe because it is a process and you know as you say there are times where where you do doubt it but if you can just come back to trusting I think everyone should have that on an affirmation card trust the process (laughs) put it on your forehead look in the mirror trust the process (laughs) Oh, Janet, you are amazing. And I am, I'm just, yeah, in awe of everything that you've done. And you've, you're this little shining light at the end of the tunnel. And I know that there are going to be so many people who are going to listen to this and get so much out of it. There's been so many little gems that you have said that I know will help other people as they navigate their recovery. So thank you so, so much. Thank you for having me here. I'm so glad I can use my lived experience and not my past and that I can be here and talk about it. So I'm very grateful to be here. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, we'll talk again soon. Awesome. Bye. There is hope at ended.org.au. This is the End Eating Disorders Podcast, brought to you by BCU, customer-owned banking for you. This is a Casco Media production.